What is up, everyone? Welcome into episode 117 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnson from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host who will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. After Mike and I get all caught up and talk about our current practice goals and future drum camps, then we'll talk about drum shell types. We'll talk about the different thicknesses between three-ply shells and five-ply shells and steam-bent shells and how it affects the sound of your drum. Our featured artist this week is Queen of the Stone Age's John Theodore. In our gear review section, we'll be checking out the Peisty 900 series, Crashes, Hi-Hats, and Rides, and we'll get to a bunch of your listener questions as always. So, let's get started. Beautiful. Beautiful you know, day. I, uh, I did a I did an interview yesterday, and we did the count in thing, and I realized that I always count it in the same tempo, and that tempo gives an eighth note delay for Skype. It's always uh, one, two, three, four, snap, snap. Interesting. Actually, no, it's a quarter note, full quarter note. Yeah, so I, I count in the exact tempo that is a quarter note delay for Skype. <laughs> I'm that sure everyone cares. Did we just nerd out? Yeah. <laughs> did, did we just take everybody to, like, nerd land? <laughs> Whoa. What's going on, buddy? Uh, well, let's see. I mean, it's Friday, so I'm already at PASIC, but in real life, I'm preparing to go to PASIC. That's coming That's up. That's right. So it's going to be fun to see everybody. I think this is the I'm last like time. time warp. I think it's the last time it's going to be an indie, like, in a row, I'm not sure what the deal is. It's been okay. in Indianapolis like three out of the past five years. Mm. You know, Indy's cool, but I kind of liked going to different parts of the country. That's kind of the appeal for me to go to. Like I've never yeah, been to San actually, Antonio, I, and that was awesome to mm. go there. I love where they have it in Indy, but you're right. Once you've been there multiple times, it's kind of like cool. I got that now. I know that. Yeah. Let me go somewhere else. Um, but I do love that little area, especially because you know. I would say probably the biggest reason to practice really hard is so that one day you can have endorsements that take you out to a steak dinner. I think that's really the payoff for like the 20 years of practice is just getting to that point. And uh, there's some good steak places. Like uh, there's like St. Elmo's around there. I think. Oh, yeah. Pretty that's good. Got the shrimp cocktail that's like nuclear spicy. That burns your face off. Yeah. yeah. And, and as a young artist, Vader loves to watch you try that for the first time. So, yeah, man. Hey, I want to let everybody know we did get the promotion all done for the podcast listeners. So now you guys can go to mikeslessons.com, sign up for the all access pass. And when you're signing up, just enter the promo code podcast, all lowercase, P O D C A S T, podcast. Enter that, and then your first two weeks will be free. And then if during that two weeks you end up not liking it, you can just cancel and you'll never get charged a dime. But I really want you guys to experience the full thing that we offer and all the educational styles that I can give you uh, for you to just know what it is and see if it works for you. Online lessons are definitely not for everybody. I also want you guys to know, and I think Mike probably agrees with this, I have no desire to be your pure source of education. I would really, I try to keep my prices low so that people can afford to take private lessons as well. I think it's important for you to have inspiration, have new material, but I think it's also important whether it be weekly or monthly, you should be sitting in a room with somebody that can look at your hands, hear you play, hear your dynamics, and really help you from there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really impossible to replace that, I think, especially early Absolutely. on in, in your years of drumming. There's so many little things that you could be doing wrong that could take years to reverse. Right. Like I, It's I why it. Mike's Lessons doesn't focus on beginners is because I kind of would like you to have private lessons before you ever come to my website in the first place. Yeah, it makes sense. Definitely. Oh, and the uh, the readers poll is still open, so get your votes in now. It's uh, mm-hmm. I think we've got another two weeks, maybe. I think it closes it right around Thanksgiving. So now be the time nice. to get your votes in, and we're gonna we kind of fast tracked it, so we're going to be announcing the winners uh, mid January. Cool. So that'll be that's awesome. Coming awesome. Soon. So that's that. Very what else cool. we got to talk about? I, you opened. I up announced your my camps drum camps. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, well. As they're listening, this is Friday, so they are already sold out, but it is actually in real life Wednesday, and they are actually sold out in the first hour. Oh, so, Well, then uh, let's not talk about them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to, but it, uh, real quick, guys. Uh, so there are 10 camps. They're all sold out, but every year when it comes time to pay the rest of your balance, there's people that just either something comes up in life or whatever. We do have people drop out. So even though when you get to the website, to mikeslessons.com slash camps, It'll say everything's sold out. Still submit your registration information, and we'll put you on an alternate list. Because we had 17 people from the alternate list get into camps last year. Oh, really? Just like whatever could happen could happen. Just, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like we, I mean, we had you know there could be 
family issues. There could be anything. You know, people get new jobs. Uh, so. So, yeah, so even though they're all sold out, please still submit your information or your registration information and let us know what camp you would like to attend. We put you on the alternate list, and then you're the first to get a call as soon as somebody drops out for any reason. So how do you avoid the temptation to do 20 camps? (laughs) If you can do 10, why not do 20? I know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, if I left left the registration open for two hours, I'd sell out 20. (laughs) Um, It's, yeah, it's just the memory of... Getting towards the end of camp season and being like, okay, I want to, I want to go out on top. And the last camp I had this year was just, it was so special, and I, I felt like, like I don't know, I felt really on top of my teaching game. And I feel like three more camps after that, it would become a job. And mm, yeah, honestly, I mean, with with Mike's lessons doing what it's doing, and it, the camps aren't really necessarily a, a huge driving force of our of our income for our company. So it's, it's not a, a thing where, well, we got to keep up with it. We got to do more, do more. It's just like, Hey, this is, it's almost a chance for me to say, okay, I taught online all year. Now let me get in a room with some of my students and see what happened. It's it's like lab time. And I get to go like, wait a minute, like I checked your account. You said you completed the advanced grooves course. Oh, yeah. Why can't you play a ghost note? You know, <laughs> and then and then uh, and to me, it's not that's not something where I'm saying that against the camper. I'm saying what happened on my website that allowed this to happen, and yeah. so so yeah, I just like the balance of it. And if you notice this year in Modern Drummer's Readers Poll, I'm not nominated for Clinician of the Year. Well, that's because I took an entire year off of clinics. Because I I didn't have time to do them. I was doing so many camps and mm-hmm. doing everything else, and so that's it. Actually, the nomination is totally reflective of where I put my energy. I put my energy into the website and not into clinics and, and festivals. Uh, and so so yeah. So I want to make sure there's a nice balance. That's how I avoid the temptation. I dig it. So you know, we haven't talked about your year of time practice in a while. Is it? Do we need Let's to get update into it? it? I mean, where are you at with it? Yes, I'm yeah, actually absolutely. Just, my update is I've I've finally switched over to using the middle triplet as my primary metronome. That's that's wow. my current goal, and it's getting there. I can hear it immediately. That's a tough note. There's some stickings that still kind of end up flipping around, but uh huh. That's that's where I'm at. So it took me a year to go from the third triplet to the middle triplet. <laughs> that's a tough note, man. The first one is is it's you know it's the downbeat. The second or the third one that we we kind of live with that as our upbeat in swing yeah. time. Yeah. But that's a ticket, ticket, ticket. So yeah. So here's where I'm at with things. I took in uh, Mark Giuliano's book. You know how he has his eighth notes, eighth note triplets, sixteenths, eighth note triplets phrase, his yep, one bar the, phrase, uh, one beat of each, whatever he calls it. Yeah, right. And then later on in the book, he's mixing those up with with rests, yep. um, mm-hmm. maybe two beats of each, and then syncopating that. So I've been doing that with my right hand on the bell or the cowbell, and then I'm just playing kind of a standard kick and snare part. And then that's going on with a gap click. So it's mixing subdivisions from literally every two beats or every beat while going back and forth with a gap click. And I'm just trying to see, okay, I can lock things in when nothing's moving. But once I'm once my brain's having to shift back and forth between all of these subdivisions, can I keep track of time? You know, yeah, um, yeah. totally fine if I'm playing the whole subdivision. But like you said, when maybe I have. Uh, one E of 16th notes, and then the next note is the middle of the triplet. And so I have to be, even though I'm yep. only playing, duh, 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 I have to be thinking one E and a two and a. It's yep. like, oh, goodness. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I'm getting back now into the time thing, making it more a part of what I'm doing. I think what happened was I got super obsessed with that style of practice, and then the band and the camps just took over my whole summer. So, yeah. Yeah, so and now it's, it's getting back into it. It's not one of those like you know. Let me just dabble in it either. It's kind of you have to no. you have to live in it, and it's. But yeah. I, you know, I tell a, a lot of people this. I mean, it's it's like it's a hard pill to swallow, but that practice I think is going to be the most valuable practice that any of us could do because it it then allows you to play pretty much anything, and it's going to always sound good right. because it's so perfectly placed in time, and you have such control right. of subdivisions that. You don't have to learn licks and stuff anymore. You can just play rhythms. I mean, that's yeah. I think that's Mark's thing is he he's kind of devoid of licks, but it it always sounds really new and exciting and and fresh because he's got yeah. such good control of that stuff. I mean, I think that's yeah. 
it's really painful to practice timekeeping and and subdivision control. But I know for me personally, I've never felt more confident and comfortable since I started doing it. And I've not learned a new lick in 10 years. But I feel like my plane has just gotten so much better, more, more, I don't know, more convincing, more confident. Yeah, and fluid as well. You know, I I just put up, God, I I don't know when – if I've ever recorded myself playing a drum solo, but so, so yesterday I sat down for, I hadn't even touched the kit. Did you see my Instagram video yesterday? Just like, it was like a solo. solo. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I literally hadn't touched sticks when I hit the first downbeat of that recorded solo. Mm -hmm. So that's like 8am I walk in and, and I wasn't doing it for Instagram. I wasn't, I was, I needed drumming for the background of my camp announcements. So that was like, okay, let me play like a up tempo solo and that'll be the background sound as I'm making this video for camp announcements. Well, as I'm editing it, I'm like, dude, this isn't that bad. Like, <laughs> this is two minutes of, you know, like flowing in this situation where, and no click. And I'm like, it's not rushing that bad. It's not dragging that bad. Uh, there's probably 20% memorized licks, which for me is a really low number. Okay. Usually it's 80%. And then the 20% is of, improv is making it seem like the whole thing is improv but it was one of those things where like you said you put in hours and hours of time or years of time and it takes a while to show up you know and but all that that fluidity and that confidence comes from like you said playing very i guess the fundamentals you know being in control of the fundamentals allows for that also i heard an interview from scott pelengrom and he was talking about like how he doesn't like to play it safe. Like he, he just wants to be on the edge all the time. And Mm. he's like, you know, when I see clinicians, they kind of play it safe. And he's like, I understand it. I've been a clinician. I understand why they're playing it safe, but I just like to see somebody go out. And I, it was so cool to have that mindset of no one will ever see this. So I'm just going to go ahead and throw down. Yeah. And then when it was over and I hit a crash on the one on purpose, I didn't just like kind of run out of steam. I was (laughs) like, dude, this is great. Why, why can't I just do that when Thomas Lang is standing on the side of the stage with his arms folded? Like I was like proud of my own drumming. So I know it sounds cocky. I don't mean it like that. I just mean sometimes it takes a while for this stuff to pay off, whether it be the timing thing. I mean, the timing thing, if I work on it for another two or three years, it'll probably be a while until somebody goes, man, just everything is so solid, you know, and, yeah, and they won't know that I've worked on my time. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. I mean, I think, like sure. I was saying, I think that's, I don't know what Scott's background is, but I think he can just kind of go crazy free because his internal clock is probably pretty strong. I think I yeah. think a lot of, at least my favorite improvisers are the ones that their time is, I mean, they're just so great. Like Steve Gadd, yeah. you can kind of, sometimes when he's going, sometimes he, he's missing what he's going for, but it doesn't matter right. because it's so perfectly right. placed. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, man. Uh Speaking of great time, uh, I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent, but somebody we definitely have to visit in this podcast and maybe cover as a featured drummer. Uh, do you know who Brody Simpson is? Oh, uh, yeah. I just, just follow him on Instagram. I don't know anything Man, about him. He's a bad dude. Yeah. So he just he's an Australian. He just produced uh, the new Childish Japes album with JP. Oh, cool. So they recorded it at his studio. So he's he's a monster producer, but he just happens to be a stud drummer. But really groove-based drum stuff that's like fairly hip so uh, we'll we'll cover him in the future by the way as far as the mike mike and carter camp in new york that we are moving forward with that so we're just trying to pick a date right now it's looking like it's going to be the end of february or early march um and you guys have what 80 degree weather in february oh yeah it's beautiful i mean okay perfect yeah you don't need to bring shirts (laughs) the shirts i never do (laughs) never do uh i mean i sometimes i'll bring a tank top but but sleeves are outlawed in my camps uh so yeah so just so you guys know though we do have room for 60 campers at that camp so please if you're interested email mdinfo at moderndrummer.com and just use the title drum camp and let us know that you're interested in attending we'll put you on the list so that you're the first to know about it before we open it up to the public yeah but i have been keeping a rolling tab of those that have emailed us so if you already have you don't need to do it again i've got you but um it wouldn't hurt to just send it again but i've got those of you who've already contacted us i guess yeah the next step will be we'll figure out a date we got to announce the pricing and then we'll figure out what happens but 
Fantastic. Well, let's get into the good stuff. Let's yep. talk about drum shells. Drum shells. So we talked, uh, I guess it was two months ago, we talked about Russ Miller's first article on, what was it on? Bearing Edges? What was he talking yeah, about? I yeah. I think it was <laughs> What was he talking about? I don't know what that guy's talking about. <laughs> no, it was uh, Hoops. It was Hoops. Bearing Edges is next. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. Now. It was Hoops. And then and this issue, the current issue, December, with John Theodore on the cover, uh, he's talking about shell types and the thicknesses and how all of that affects the type of sound you get. The point of his mm. series is to kind of just educate you on what the gear is supposed to do so you don't try to force something out of something that's, you know, like if you want a that's real warm, a round snare sound, you've got a stave drum with sharp edges. You probably chose the wrong drum. And I do have right. a, a horror story. I'm not going to say anything specific, but a good buddy of mine who makes some of my favorite drums in the world, he sent me a text. It's like some dude bought a huge drum. And then said he's going to send it back because the lugs are breaking, and he and he was just cranking it to make it sound like a thirteen inch drum, and it was a huge oh. drum. Like, oh. know the gear you have, know what it's supposed to right. do. Don't force it to do yeah. something it's not supposed to do. And um, don't also don't think that cost means that it's extremely versatile. You can have a two thousand dollar snare drum that really does one thing and does it really well, but just because you spent that much money doesn't mean you got a piccolo and a ballad snare all in one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have to kind of ask right. yourself, like, what is the sound I'm hearing in my head? What, should I get a 10-inch deep drum for that, or should it be three inches deep? <laughs> like, what is <laughs> Yeah. When you hear, like, the early 311 albums, don't get a 15 by 10. Yeah. That's a problem. Exactly. And then crank it, and then you'll break lugs, <laughs> yeah. and then you'll be, you know, ticked off uh, at the With your builder. Kevlar head. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, let's, let's go uh, through. So, the first thing he talks about is a single-ply drum. Which would be we would think of as steam bent, essentially. Okay. Single ply yeah. shell. So, do you own any single ply drums? No. Uh, like I told you, I think I'm going to get maybe a, a Doc Sweeney snare, and that'll be my first steam bent shell. Uh, but and I've always wanted some Craviatos. But I mean, who who out there makes steam bent shells? Right off the top of your head, are there any major companies? I, mean, I know there's a lot of boutique companies, but uh, well, everyone uh, everyone has at one point or other offered a version of it. I mean, the the original okay. is the Slingerland Radio King. That's a steam bent mm. shell. That's a single ply okay. that's, that's bent. Um, so a lot of you know Craviato is kind of a, a version right. of that. Um, Joyful Noise has has steam bent drums. Mm. I'm, I'm pretty sure maybe Gretsch did like limited runs of of steam bent okay. a couple of years ago. So kind of everyone has a version of it. Um, so we're talking about taking a single ply of wood and treating it the way they would make a uh, a sailboat and getting the wood pliable enough to bend it into shape. Is yeah, that correct? Exactly. Okay. Yes. Steam it, make soaking it, and steaming it so then it can you can fold it. <laughs> you know, not very easily. And then what? But you can fold right. It. I was going to say yeah. And then what happened when you finally join those seams together? Does the wood just dry into shape, or what? What stops it from bending back out to being a straight plank of wood? They got to stay in the molds for a long time. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, and RBH he makes steam bent, and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a noble and Cooley. I mean, there's a lot of them. There's well, I know those. I just didn't know if like Tama, Pearl, Gretsch, DW offered steam bent shells because I don't remember. I know that for a while DW did some snares. Yeah. Well, Craviato um, was making their stuff early on. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah, so it's essentially it's it's like you would do a brass drum. You just roll the the material into now, shape. Now, what's the sonic benefit to this? For it, to my ears, it's um, a denser tone. Um, okay, you know, it's kind of like sometimes ply drums can sound hollow, and maybe there's some overtones t- that aren't really too satisfying for me. And a steam bent drum for me doesn't have that. It's a little bit more dense sounding. Uh, thicker, okay. more more powerful. I, when I think of a Radio King, I think of that kind of like fat, classic. Mm. You know, Jeff, whenever you hear Jeff Picaro play a fat snare, it's usually a Radio King, and that's got it. The quintessential to me, steam bent snare drum. But gotcha. you can also crank them up and get. I mean, they're they're kind of like, you know, if you're mostly a metal snare player, then I would say steam bent would be the the wood drum that would be the closest to that for you. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's it's just a, a denser, more kind of rich sound to my ear. And, you know, it depends on sure. who makes it. But um, again, I wouldn't. I, the bearing edges play a lot a part of what type of sound it produces. Yeah. But I don't use a lot of ply shell snare drums uh, unless I'm using my old three ply vintage drums, which has a very specific sound. Uh, I yeah. prefer a, a single ply steam bent shell. 
That's okay. kind of my preference. It records better. Like I said, there's not like just these like piercing pitches, like frequencies that kind of jut out. Uh, you don't have to muffle them as much. Gotcha. So anyway, that would be like the single ply. Then we go to the three to five ply shell, which is probably what most of us are used to, or maybe right. uh, somewhere between. Well, the three three to five is kind of the vintage style. Like I think if you have any old Ludwig wooden drum or Slingland drum or Rogers or anything, it's going to be a three ply shell. Yeah, my my broadcaster is a three ply shell. Right. So how do you yeah, describe I'm the broadcaster? Warmer. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it's warmer. It's uh, it has because of the bearing edges. It also has um, a, like maybe a limited volume cap on mm-hmm. it. Um, it loves the extremes really well. Like when I get it super thuddy, there's no crazy overtones at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, you it, like when you completely take that drum out of tune, it goes doom. And yeah. it's fine. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. okay. Uh, and then it loves being cranked uh, up to bop tuning. You know yeah. I mean? Well, that, that uh, makes perfect sense because that's the drums that they were using back then. Um, yeah. R- Russ describes it as a puffier sound, and I think that's a good way to describe okay. it. Okay, great, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I'll, and I think th- it, it depends on the tuning as well. But, yeah, if I had like kind of – if I went for a pop tuning, there's a huge difference between my broadcaster and, say, uh, a, a Thomas Star Classic. Yeah, you know? right. Um, yeah, exactly. So both are fantastic but very different. I would say stay away from, you know, three to five ply drums if you need something loud. It's just not going to do it. Agree. I agree, know, yeah. So and and if you need something playing. super modern and focused, if you're playing a bunch of chops and licks and you want every note to be very separated, then the three-ply shell, especially with rounder bearing edges, is not going to be your thing. But if you're doing the singer-songwriter thing, if you're doing, uh, you know, a bunch of cafe gigs, like, do these drums are just warm and just like Russ said, Russ said they're, they're fluffy, man. Yeah. So then the next step would be, I mean, he goes into more detail about all the different sub sub uh, sections of ply drums, but I think anything that's like six and up, you get it into a thicker shell, which means it's going to have a certain type of sound. To me, it's like a it, it's a higher tone, a, a brighter sound. Yeah. Uh, kind of what what we're all used to hearing from a wood snare drum. I think if you need yeah. to, I think if you need just a drum that can do everything, but don't want to spend the money to get a steam bent, then probably a six to ten ply. Maple is going to be a good yeah. choice. Agreed. Yeah, and, and it's it's so funny because no matter what we say about all of this, the bearing edges play a role and the yep. hoops play a role. So it's learning. I mean, what Russ is trying to do in this series of articles that it does take a little bit of knowledge from all of that, and then tuning can throw all that out the window. So, um, but yeah, I, I think you know when I think of a six ply maple drum, that's just to me that's modern drum set. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's snare um, drum. It'll be it'll work in just about everything. It'll it's it'll depending. I mean, your drum head choice plays a huge factor. That's absolutely. It's, like, it's kind of just the do all sound, which to me makes it just kind of generic, and I don't really want it. <laughs> you know, like early yeah, on when I, needed, of- when I only had one drum, it's like yeah, I'm using my Premier Signia Maple drum on everything, and it sounds awesome. But right. these days, I'm like, well, I want some more low end, or I want I want something that has more right. crack to it, and. That, yeah, um, and I think you just kind of want to love, like, when, you want to, when you hear it, just go like, yeah, man, that's my snare. And <laughs> yeah. when your snare sounds just good, it's like, oh, there's not enough personality behind it. Yeah. Um, and the good thing is they all sound good if you have them tuned well, so it's really finding your personality. But at the same time, there are times where I hear somebody play a nice six-ply maple kit, uh, you know, six to ten-ply, and... I'm like, man, it sounds like drums. That's yeah. that's, that's good enough for this situation. Definitely. And, and it's yeah. fine. I mean, some of but the... But I also think... Oh, go ahead. I'll say some of the best recorded drum sounds on a modern kit that I've gotten were with the new Ludwig Classic Maple, which I think are six-ply. They just yeah. they just sound good. They man. they have enough projection. They have enough warmth. They tune easy. And, you know, it's just That's like a, a seriously under... I wouldn't say underrated because everyone that knows about it knows how good it is, but I would say it's an underexposed kit. The classic uh, maple, I, yeah, yeah. You I know, agree. I think it's just. Be, I think it's almost Ludwig's first name overshadows the lines, so it's yeah. like, oh, I have a Ludwig, but nobody knows what you have. And the first time I played one of those in a store, I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, like, right. oh, it's Ludwig classic maple. And I'm like, uh, and I immediately jumped to the price tag. I'm like, how much is this? This is like <laughs> one of the best drum sets I've ever heard. And I mean, it was stock heads. It's sitting in a. Did you get a dog? <laughs> it's the office office guard dog. <laughs> a little little three. My pounder. dog's here too. I, luckily, I don't have. Luckily, I'm doing this with in ears. If my dog heard that, 
man, Jack would be losing his mind. Um, but instead, he's just laying on a couch that he's not supposed to be on in our lobby. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that drum set is a good example of, hey, do you need a drum set? And you're ready to spend the money of a professional drum set? Go get that one. It's yeah. it's a great. I mean, you're hearing this from a Gretsch artist. That's a great drum set. It is. Yeah, I'm I'm not exaggerating yeah. when I say it was just like I did not want to give it back. It's like, dang, this thing just sounds good. Like I don't have to do anything. Exactly. To it. It's not exactly. not too much of anything. It's just all mm-hmm. right. Yep. So then the next type of shell, which is the last one we'll talk about, would be the stave or block shell snares. Okay. Which, uh, or it could be toms or kicks. Uh, do you have any of these? I have no staves. Uh, I've just never been a fan of them. I think mainly because the place they respond the least is in my tuning range. So I've heard other people play them tuned differently and they sound fantastic. The other thing is I just don't hit hard anymore. Yeah. And those drums come to life when you kind of throw down on them. Yep. And yep. so they honestly, they just don't fit my playing. But I, I definitely, I do like looking inside them. Yeah, you know. they're pretty awesome. I mean, it's just yeah. like it's like a big piece of tree, essentially. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. Um, do you own any stave drums? I do. I have a few. I kind of fell in love. I don't own any Brady's, but I fell in love with that sound the first time I reviewed one of their kits. And hmm. you just can't get it out of a ply drum or a steam bent drum. It's it's like right. I, I don't know what you would call it. It's like hyper color drums. Like everything is just yeah, I hyper. Mean, Brady's also its own animal. Those drums. Yeah. You know, I, no matter what I just said about stave drums, when you say Brady, it's like, oh, well, that's different. Like, <laughs> those are just, those are incredible, man. Even uh, though they kind of define the stave <laughs> drums. <laughs> I'm, I think I'm thinking more of like that kind of 14 by six and a half thick oak stave where I'm like, God, it's so much wood. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. Just not, it's not my jam. But, uh, there, but you're, yeah, I, you're I, right, though. They're, they're the perfect choice if you need a drum that can cut but doesn't sound. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound harsh. It's got, yeah. I mean, pretty much in any any different wood type I've tried, it has the same characteristic. It's like a really powerful sound, but also pretty well balanced. Maybe not as hyper low end as you get out of a three ply, but you don't really need that when you're going for projection. Right. Um, yeah. So I just think it's like a. It's got a certain. It's kind of like how I think Pisces cymbals. They all have that high end kind of clarity. Like no matter what you hit it, and it right. just it just sounds like the EQ has been bumped up on the high end a little bit it's the yep. same thing with stave drums from my experience it's just like they okay. just eq the high end up just a bit so it kind of cuts through in just the perfect yeah. way that's awesome man i dig them i don't use them a ton i actually just finished uh, testing we'll talk about it later but i've got uh, harvey mason's signature drums from canopus yeah and he's got a I normal saw you do some stuff with that yeah he's got a normal snare that's i think it's five and a half by 14 but he's got two specialty snares one is a six by ten stave um you ash. had that as your rack tom right yeah yeah in that spot yep and it's a it's a six by ten it's tiny um when i tuned it way up it was like it was just kind of funny it was kind of silly okay right but when i tuned it low it had like a i don't even know how to describe it it was just like this very focused puff it was just a really awesome okay. sound that i couldn't I, there's no way i could get any other snare drum to do that in my collection it was like a really it's hard to describe it's like i guess if you took like the the roland 909 sample and tuned it up yeah. like tuned it up like okay. a, a yeah. fifth or a sixth so it still has that like that puffy gushy fat sound but it's just higher <laughs> really really nice. interesting so that's a cool that's drum awesome, the other one is a 10 by 14 basically a floor tom with snares Fourteen, 14 okay. by so ten in, my, in your thank world. You, thank yes. you. I was like, "Whoa, whoa! It's a tube. It's an octagon. It's a got it's it, a floor tom it. with snares." Got which it. Is interesting. Got it. I mean, it, that yeah, one man. felt silly to have in the normal snare drum position. Oh, I bet. But it's just you know, giving birth. But that little stave drum was, was cool. So I think that's why I think the Brady twelve-inch stave drums are so popular because you can mm. tune them low and they don't like go nuts they're still kind of like really focused like a like a cannon right. like it's just this yeah. puff of sound that comes straight out of it so anyway yeah. that's the basics of shell types thicknesses we didn't get into but that also plays a part in it i think thinner the shell the lower the note essentially is what we are dealing mm-hmm. with which yep. kind of raises a question pitch. maybe some drum builders can weigh in i don't I never quite understood why some some people use thicker shells for bigger drums and thinner shells for smaller drums 
Yeah, I never knew if that was just for the stability of having a 22-inch drum made out of four thin plies would just fold on itself where right. maybe a 10 could handle it. Because um, I always felt the same way. I was like, well, I, I know that thinner shells have a lower fundamental pitch, so wouldn't I want to have my 10-inch tom be the thick one and then have it go the opposite? I remember when uh, Gretsch came out with the new classic series. Like Each drum got thicker and thicker as it got bigger uh. to the point that you know my, my bass drum weighs 685 pounds. <laughs> and I was like, and, and it all sounds fine, but I did, it didn't make any sense to me unless it's for stability reasons. You know, I don't really understand it, but maybe yeah. someone can weigh in for us. So I guess so we could just summarize... You have to know what type of sound you're after, and then the drum shell will get you there. So if you want a lower, kind of softer sound, you want a thinner shell, three-ply. Right. Or if you want something that has more cut and more projection, you want to go thicker and maybe like a solid shell stave or something. Okay, um, now real quick, just to wrap this up, when you say thinner and thicker, are the three-ply shells generally the same thickness as a six-ply shell? Meaning are they three thicker plies? Or is the shell itself actually made of three of the same plies from the six? Because my shell, my broadcaster looks the same thickness as all my other shells. It's just three thicker plies, is at least how it looks to me. The, but your broadcaster probably has reinforcement rings, and your USA Custom does or doesn't? I'd have to look. I know my USA Custom doesn't, but the broadcaster yeah. might. Yeah, I'm sure it does. So it's definitely thinner towards the center of the shell, like wherever okay. the reinforcement rings aren't. Uh, but that, that yeah. said, you can... Like the Keller Magnum shells are actually thicker plies. So if you did a three ply with Keller Magnums, it might be the right. same as a thin ten ply. <laughs> like okay, so I'll but call, in I'll, general, uh, yeah, I would love to actually reach out to Paul Cooper over at Gretsch and just ask him like, are you using the same wood for the broadcaster that you used on the USA Custom? Because if so, that would make the shell twice as thick on the USA Custom that it is on the broadcaster, right? Um, in the middle. So I'll I'll I'll, I'll do some digging. All right. Uh, hopefully that helps. So anyway, you can read Russ's article. It's in the December issue, which is just out now. <laughs> Bro, why did you why did you get so depressed? I was no, just okay. thinking like, I man, that helps. It's again, we'd have no idea what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's the best part. It's, it's like, like I want to do a blind it, it test, list. you know. It's like yeah. just get all the I marketing. Know. I you know, this I definitely think that the drum shell stuff we talked about is is accurate, but I think a lot of it is also what we've been told over and over and over. Again. Yeah, and and you know you can <clears throat> you could sabotage every ounce of nuance with one little change. You know, you have yeah. a erect bearing edge. All of this stuff goes out the window. You choose the wrong heads. Put a you know we talk about getting the most resonance possible. You do coated pinstripes top and bottom yep. Um, yep. with some gaff tape. That resonance is out the window. So and that's something too that we should talk about maybe in the future is people choosing drums and then adapting the drum to do what they want. Where it's like, well, you didn't need all this gaff tape and this you know gummy stuff all over your drums if you would have just chose the right shells. You just you yeah. chose the most resonant drum in the history of the world and then tried to play a pop gig with it, you know? Yeah, you um, got a stainless steel kit and you're using coated pinstripes. Like, uh, yeah. I don't think that's yeah, the right Yeah, totally. <laughs> exactly. So it really comes down to choosing. You know what would be great is to have maybe some of you guys write in and just say, uh, for our listener question series, and we could maybe transfer it to a different part of the podcast. But just tell us what do you you know what do you want your drums to do? What do you wish they sounded like? Maybe you just have a reference of an album, and you never knew what the guy played on it or what the girl played on it. And then we could say, okay, to get that sound, you're going to want this this type of kit, these depths. I mean, even. I remember people being like, man, my drums have no resonance. I'm like, what'd you get? I got the new Tama Hyperdrive. I'm like, your drum is two inches deep. Yeah. It's not well, how much resonance air. do you want? You got a Rototom, man. <laughs> like, so, so, yeah. So, you got to get the right stuff. I think that, that goes back to our argument in the very beginning that having a good middle-of-the-road maple kit is going to be the good starting point because yeah. you can manipulate that to get just about anything. But you cannot I, get a vintage Radio King to sound like a Brady. Yeah. It's just never going to happen. Right, yeah. And when you want to do it, you look like the you know, the, the brand new golfer out there with the chin putter. I'm just like, dude, you can't even make the ball go forward. What are you doing with all this crazy gear? You got your special laser pointer visor. I'm like, good God. Just get a maple drum set. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I agree with that. All right, well, let's talk about somebody who has got it all figured out. 
I've been a fan of this guy for a really long time. Uh, one of the few drummers I've never had the opportunity to meet, so I don't know him at all. But I remember I was a huge fan of uh, At the Drive-In. And then when Mars Volta came on the scene as the kind of reinvented version of this, the drumming was very different than what I was used to in At the Drive-In. And mm-hmm. I didn't really... To be totally honest, in the beginning, I didn't even know how to accept it because I didn't know what I was hearing. It was this weird mix of like Bonham with like modern rock with funk and hip hop. And it, it was just, I just didn't even know what to do with his drumming in the beginning. Yeah. Um, yeah same. And then when he, um, and we're talking about John Theodore uh, from the band Queens of the Stone Age, but I, I definitely learned about him through the Mars Volta. And then uh, what was Zach De La Roca's second band? Um, something with wolves. One day is a lion. Oh yeah. <laughs> what did you say? I said something with wolves, but no lion. <laughs> <laughs> something with wolves. That's a great band name too. What's up, everybody? We're something with wolves. Um, one day is a lion, and and seeing him play, just hold it down in in that band. Uh, the dude is a monster. I mean, just a, a beast of a player. So, do you know John? No, I think he's he's. I don't know if he's shy or he's just elusive. He kind of stays out of the drum industry deliberately. I think he has no interest in really being a part of this. Which is awesome. But at the same time, he loves drums and the art of drumming. It, it's cool. I mean, I don't know him, but the guys, friends of mine who are friends with him say he's just the sweetest guy on earth. But wow. I have no idea. Hopefully he listens to this and we can get to know him. But <laughs> you know, for me, the, the experience of hearing Mars Volta for the first time, I almost equate it to the first time I heard Nirvana. Like I remember yeah. where I was the first time I heard Nirvana, mm-hmm. and I was driving to basketball practice in seventh grade, and the whole practice I couldn't wait to get back in the car to turn the radio back on to see if I could hear that song again. Like right. it was just yeah. it was seismic for me. And then fast forward, well, that was seventh grade, so I was in grad school. Whatever, how many years that would be? Eight years later, I was I went to a house party and. Uh, for whatever reason, they had the first Mars Volta record cranking. So it was in this like townhouse in Philadelphia, probably a hundred people just crammed into the living room, just you know, a full on party. And this music was just overwhelming me. I'm like, what right. is this? How could you possibly yeah. turn this on at a party? What is it? But I want right. it. Whatever it is, I want. Yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. I think we we're in the same boat. I mean, I was touring still when this all happened you know when when the mars Vol- or i'm sorry when at the drive-in came out it was still we had heard a few bands like that maybe not quite like i mean the stuff that omar was doing was a little mind-blowing but we had heard a few bands like that they were always the opening 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 bands you know of the tour just mm-hmm. like the guys that were being experimental at the time and then it was like oh man i hope this band stays together forever because this is going to be such cool stuff but you also knew it was only going to go so far because it was just it was beyond most people. And then when we heard they broke up, it was like, oh man, that's too bad. And then I remember the first Mars Volta album came out, and it was like the tour bus album because just like watching the movie JFK, every time you go through it, you hear something new. Yeah, you see totally. something new, you know, like. Yeah. And it was just one of those things where every time we would put that album on our eight hour drive, we could just let it go and go and and repeat and repeat. So it was like. Man, this is mind-blowing. But when I say that, I think most people think of more of maybe Thomas Pridgen's style with the Mars Volta. And John Theodore was rooted in something. He was rooted in like just like the fattest grooves, yeah. you know. And there was – I don't know. There was a uh, a weird connection to if Bonham was alive now and just pushing the envelope but still staying true to his core. And uh, yeah. and then with all of John Theodore's modern influences. So it was really cool. So now one thing that I actually don't know, how long has he been in Queens of the Stone Age? Uh, the last record cycle. So whenever that... Oh, okay. So it's pretty yeah. new. So he's on a few tracks of the last record and he did the whole tour and now he's full, you know, full-time member of the band. So I think it's Man. a perfect band for him because Queens of Stone Age totally. is also one of the coolest... They're going to be eternal. They could probably play until the till they can no longer breathe. And it, but it's yeah. such a totally different drumming approach. Like I don't think I would if you would not tell me John Theodore's on this record and give me the Queens of Stone Age. I would say, okay, the drumming is awesome. The sounds are great. I have no idea who it is because it doesn't it doesn't ring to like the Mars Volta frenetic kind of right. Like you said, John Bonham meets Zach Hill kind of style. Right, exactly. There you go. Oh, damn Which, you! I hate when you have comparisons. <laughs> <laughs> my teacher jealousy just went through the roof 
That was great. Crushed it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's unfair because I'm pretty sure he, in his first cover story years ago, he said that Zach was one of his favorite drummers. So it, it's okay. It, but yeah, know. that's what it is. I mean, Zach is the extreme one way. John's the extreme one way, and then John Theodore is the the meeting of the two with definitely his own thing for sure. Yeah. Um, so the new Queens I haven't record heard the new Queens record. It's it's okay. I mean, if. If you're familiar with Queens, it's all about the production. It's all about, you know, he kind of describes it in his cover story about each person's a piston in the motor. Like you have to, you're playing your role. You can't really do, you can't step out. You have to do your thing to make the whole machine run. So the sounds are really cool. Every track has different sounds. Um, They did the the Queens of Stone Age thing where they tracked the drums first and the cymbals later. So that kind of restricts you on what you can play in a certain way. That's so it's awesome. really neat. I mean, all the it's the, it's really it's a production record in my opinion. It's not a performance record. It's like okay. check out what he did to make these songs just sound like this gnarly sort of dark evil machine, <laughs> just like trudging down the streets. It's really good. But you know, and then, I've never seen him live. But the video footage I've seen of him playing with him, he's he's exactly what you would want from John Theodore. He goes for man. it. Yeah, I mean he's he's quite the the stud. I watched a ton of videos of him uh, over the last week, just getting ready for this. And uh, yeah, he he can do whatever you need him to do, uh, but he's relentless with the power. I mean, he's just a powerful, powerful drummer. Yeah. But none of it comes off as poor technique. You know what I mean? It's just like that's what that music deserves. That's what he gives it. Yeah, it's and kind so, of it's like unbridled. Like he's just completely yes. raw on stage. Which I I totally totally agree, um, and and he, and he's fun to watch too because you know there's there's a part of him that when he plays it kind of brings up those feelings of why we all started as kids, which is like yeah yeah let's go hit some <laughs> stuff let's hit some stuff <laughs> it's pretty rad yeah. man uh, well there, there's a part and, in the story I don't want to give it all away but one of the I thought one of the most interesting bits was when he kind of talks about not doing a lot of gigs like he doesn't really have any interest in being busy as a drummer like okay. he, would, he would rather I think he says he'd rather just work a day job and surf and do whatever and then play mm-hmm. in a band nice. that he really he's really passionate about than be the guy who's on every tour and every record and every session and just hustling which I think is a That's really cool, man. It's, it's like you know for him, that's what he. For him, he needs to feel connected emotionally to the music, rather than finding a way to connect yeah. to the music because you need a gig. You know, that's. Because right. I'm sure at any point that time after Mars Volta to now, he could have been in just about any band he wanted. In any band, I yeah, think easily. I think yeah, without any question. Like, of course, you're now our drummer. Goodbye, right? Whoever. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, I'm sorry that uh, we went through all the blood, sweat, and tears, but John Theodore just called, so we're kicking you out. Take <laughs> I mean, he problem. could have been in Led Zeppelin for the reunion, quite honestly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and he would have killed that. You imagine for sure. that. Uh, actually, yeah. After watching all of his videos, I could totally imagine that, man. But I mean, just I watched, the idea you know, of like not not being obsessed with like being successful in quotes as a drummer, right? Just, just or even something. you know. You know what it's like when people come up to you and say, so what have you been up to? And yeah. half of your drive is to make sure you have something to say when they say, what have you been up to? Um, so I've been busy. Everybody for, says it. I've been super busy, yeah. man. Super I've busy. just been, you know, <laughs> doing my thing. Uh, you know, it's the sad thing is when I see people from high school, I literally can say same old thing because I haven't changed a bit. It's like, <laughs> wake up, I play some drums, just like when you knew me in freshman year, <laughs> like in freshman English. Uh, same old thing. And then they just go, oh, well, keep your head up. Thanks, man. Keep trying. <laughs> hey, by the way, just to uh, quickly segue into something you said earlier about them recording drums and then the cymbals later, uh, Peter Gabriel's third album, it's just self-titled Peter Gabriel. I don't know if you know this. Uh, so do you know the song Games Without Frontiers? Oh, it's yeah. Like one of his big yep. hits. Okay, so so Phil Collins came back and played drums on Peter Gabriel's album. So um, what had happened was Peter had started his solo career away from Genesis and then Genesis was on break and Phil heard that Peter was putting together a band and Phil contacted Peter and said, Hey, I want to play drums on your album, man. And w- which is a cool thing to do when you've got two people that, you know, one person took someone's spot in the band. Right. Yeah. And, uh, so anyway, so Peter said, I would love to have you on this, but I don't want any symbols on the album. So wherever you would have a hi hat, I need you to put a Tom and wherever you would have a crash, I need you to put a Tom. Cause I don't want you to be tempted and so if you go back and listen to that album, 
same thing. And then they did a few cymbal overdubs later, but the whole album was kind of drums only, and Peter focused the whole thing on the drums and then brought in some cymbals later. So, yeah, it's neat. Is that the, is Jerry Murata yeah. also on that record? Uh, he might be because I know Phil's own. Yeah, Jerry Murata. Um, yeah. And uh, same thing, request that Collins and Jerry Murata not use cymbals on the album sessions. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very distinct production decision. And I can see why Queens does it because the way they're, again, the way their music is constructed, the sounds need to be so controlled. You can't have cymbals just right. spraying over everything when they want the toms to sound gigantic and the snare to sound right. gigantic. But I've tried recording that way. I, I'm, I can't do it. It doesn't work. By the way, I got to say, uh, for all drummers that are eventually going to be featured in Modern Drummer, just spend a couple hundred bucks on a photo shoot, please, because John Theodore <laughs> looks like a bad dude because he got a photo <laughs> shoot done. And it, dude, I mean, these are some of the best black and white shots I've seen of a drummer in a really long time. Um, it's just incredible. And then also, guys, definitely go to MD or uh, moderndrummer.com, check out his article, but then sh- scroll all the way to the bottom, and then you can check out the style and analysis, which breaks down some of his parts. Um, it's just yeah. really cool, too, because his parts are so hip, and having somebody kind of chart them out for you is a, is a nice feature. So, yeah, yeah, we picked Boom. a couple, a couple, uh, a couple of Mars Volta tracks and a couple of the Queens tracks. So you get a little bit of both of his kind of odd time uh-huh. prog rock and then his, you know, pile driving stuff he's doing with the Queens. Yeah. The good stuff, uh, or the good thing with John too is even though he has been a band drummer, there's so much stuff of him on YouTube. There's interviews, there's drum solo stuff because he's doing solos uh, in the concerts with Queens. And so really cool stuff. Check out John Theodore. It's J O N Theodore. All right. Now let's switch into some candy. We finally get to hear stuff. Yeah. We, we didn't hear those congas. That's we didn't right. hear those stave congas. <laughs> so, <laughs> nor Mike or myself. And I'm technically a professional congero because of my time with Filter. Um, but we didn't get to hear those. <laughs> so uh, I would have to bleach my hair again to do those. But I tell you, the, this the, is, the best yeah. paying gig I ever had was for me to play one conga drum at a wedding. <laughs> if they paid me thousands no. of dollars to, pay, to play conga and tambourine. For three hours at a wedding in Philadelphia. Wow! I mean, it was insane. That's a rad. And I got That's called. A rad gig. I got called like the day of. I guess the original guy got stuck in traffic, and I had to go borrow the drum from the college. I didn't even have a conga drum, dude. <laughs> totally. I I had to lie to filter. They were like, "So you're a percussionist?" So I was like, "Yes, I am." And then they were like, "Do you have congas?" I was like, "I do," but they're in California, so we should probably just rent some. And uh, they were like, "Okay, cool." And I was like, oh, my God. And then I just spent the whole night slapping the table in the hotel trying to get my <laughs> slight conga technique back. All right. So let's talk about the Peisty 900 series symbols. Um, this is – and this is what Peisty has been doing for decades. But this is another example of B8 does not mean low quality because yeah, yeah. these things sound fantastic. So we've got – these are the, this is the two, uh, 2002 metal, right? Yeah, which is their brand of B8. It's, it's B8 bronze, right. but it's it's what they use for their Giant Beats and their 2002 series. Um, right. I think that's that's it. Maybe some And then of these the, are the hand-hammered. That's what's making them different? Yeah. Again, it's like they've been – we've talked about a few times. It's, I feel like they've, they've focused on kind of making all of their symbols consistent but just different enough. Like as far as, you know, making it – you got the, the Giant Beats – and then you've got the big beats, which is a darker version of that sound. And then you've got the 2002, right. which is the more rock kind of sound that we all think of when we think of Peisty. These are kind of like in between the 2002 and the the 20 series for me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's. I mean, that's about what they sound like. Is a little they bit definitely warmer. have more. Yeah, they're warmer than the the 2002s, but they're definitely more peisty than the 20 series exactly they're definitely yeah they're, yeah they're maybe like one notch down from the 2002s but but i don't know how they're making them the pricing to be where it is it's they're cheaper than the 2002s uh, but they look really? a little bit more i don't know more boutique they cut like a darker finish yeah more kind of that darker finish hammering. they look pretty cool well do you want to give them uh, a listen first and then we'll talk a little about uh i can't speak english but we'll talk more about them <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I'm not even talking to you anymore. <laughs>
Okay, so I got to ask you this, and depending on what you used, I don't know what our exactly what our listeners were, will hear. God, why can't I speak? <laughs> take. You think it's because I've got like three cups and a <laughs> bottle of green tea all at the same time? Um, <laughs> so you recorded all three videos with like separately, like you did crashes, then you did hi hats, then you did rides. Yep. Did these all show up to you at different times, or why did you do that? No, I mean, there's so many. I mean, there's, I mean, how okay. many crashes are there? There's a 16, yeah. there's a 16 heavy, there's a seven, 16, 17, 18, 19, okay. 20 so regulars this, and heavies. Right. And then I gotcha. there's 14 inch regular hi hats, 14 inch heavy hi hats, inch. 14 inch sound edge hi hats, and then 15 inch oh, yeah. heavy hi hats. So I would have to have like the world's most absurd drum set to do them all at once. <laughs> That's a good point. I'll take that. Or it would be like okay. a 35 minute video, and then no, no one wants to sit through that. I I'll, I'll do I could do 32, right? 32 I'm out. Um so where do you see this stuff fitting musically? Like you get I think, called uh, for a gig, where is this stuff fitting? I think it's definitely rock. The rock symbols okay. but with a just a just a touch of complexity so they're not super glassy and laser beam kind of bright. Um but okay. I I would only I would only use them if I'm playing pretty loud and in a pretty you know, modern rock kind of genre. Yeah, they you, remind me a little bit of a of a modernized version of the Peisty Innovations. Um, yeah, and I think I don't know if it's still the plan, but these were going to replace the Alpha series. They were going to eventually oh, do okay. away with wow. that, and then these were going to. Well, be they, I mean, I definitely if I if I had to choose between these and Alphas, I mean, it's almost no choice. Yeah. These are these actually don't sound like entry level or even intermediate level symbols at all these sound fantastic yeah i mean i i would use them in my modern rock band the hi-hats were i like the 15 heavies which i didn't think i would be into i thought they would be kind of gongy and platey but i kind of liked them they were cool they had a little bit of a will calhoun kind of vibe for me when i heard all of this stuff it just sounded really good you know yeah and i think too it's nice for if you're a heavy hitter and you know you're going to kind of bash on your gear at least you're in a price range where you know cracking a symbol doesn't ruin your entire year yeah yeah, because it's going to happen. I mean, you're going to beat the crap out of stuff. Eventually, they're going to go down. But it's like, okay, well, during that time that it is not cracked, I want it to sound good, and these sound great. You know? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that's the goal with these to give you a, a full range professional sound, but at a price where you can you can replace it relatively easily. Like I, I wouldn't go full bore on a set of masters, but with these, right. yeah, I, I agree. Feel like I, and I think they're they're built <clears throat> to, to withstand it. Now, I do want to backpedal and say the ride. Uh, I could use it. I could see using it for like a delicate, like ECM style jazz, like real really? light, because okay. it has that sparkle. That kind of when I think of ECM jazz, I think of a sparkly ride, and it did mm-hmm. that really well. Nice, uh, but the man, crashes. Cool. I think the crashes are, are, are for, in my, to my ears, for rock playing. The hi hats, the fourteens were kind of Stuart Copeland ish. They could do a lot of real okay. fast stuff. They were all real kind of crispy. Um, so if you like a papery hi hat sound, these these aren't it, but. You want a real crispy kind of sound? They're cool. I like the 15 inch heavies. They were my my favorite of the bunch. That's your that's your pick of the segment. Pick, pick of the review. <laughs> pick of the review. Nice. Well, everyone, check that stuff out. Uh, can they find them on Peisty's new? Are, now, are those available to the public already? They should be. They were released okay. at Nam in this past Nam, so they should be in every Peisty dealer's catalog. I would, nice. I would hope. Very cool. All right. Well, let's get into some listener questions. All right, so where are we at? We've oh man, we've we've been long winded again. What is wrong with us? Uh, I, yeah, man, I got a live lesson in a little bit. I'm kind of freaking out. Today's live lesson is uh, triggering loops with a sample pad. Oh and wow! As you know, I'm one of the you know most instrumental guys in the world of sample pads. So <laughs> you, you so I'm really hoping we can wrap this up so I can learn how to one shot and loop a damn sample. <laughs> Talk Zach Danziger everything he knows, right? <laughs> I know. It, they wanted to call it the Yamaha DTX-MJ, but I was like, guys, I don't need all the credit. It's all good. <laughs> all right, well, let's try to make this a speed round if we can. So this mm. one's coming from Calum. Um, it's a two-part question, but we're going to focus on the second thing. So I've started playing a lot more jazz and exploring it more and more. That's his opening. What would you suggest to do for my fills and solos to get them on the same level as they are when I'm playing straight time um, or even to the same level as my grooves when I'm playing jazz? I have a starts s- with a P, ends with an actus, and there's an <laughs> R in there too. <laughs> I was going to go just one step deeper and say transcribe the heck out of some classic jazz. 
That's a yeah. I I think that's great. But I, I think really the transcriptions coupled with carving time out of your day to practice improvising at different tempos and in that what I would call environment. You can't just keep collecting knowledge without trying to be creative and then hope that one day it'll all show up. You have to kind of sit down and go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to play, I'm going to solo for a while and improvise. Um, the other thing too is don't see, like, I think what Mike said will lead you into realizing that jazz soloing doesn't mean that you're ripping some buddy rich chop fest. I mean, it's a lot of it is different. Yeah. It's totally different. Yeah. So yeah, I think get comfortable with triplets and transcribe is going to be the big thing. Uh, for me. Uh, next one is from Paul. I think we might have, uh, not from him, but someone asked, asked a similar question. So do you have any tips? So he says, I recently started working uh, with a band that uses backing tracks. I'm in control of the tracks with the click in one ear and the backing track in the other. Do you have any tips or advice from your experience that may help both technically and musically when working with clicks and tracks in a live situation? I think you can always just answer with practice. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. That's a, well, you actually do this, so... Yeah, I mean, for me, practice. it's... it's uh, well, I mean, again, working on your time every single day is going to make that click not your enemy, and it's going to make it just a, a reaffirmant of that the fact that you're playing in time. Um, yeah. I think... And, and that goes hand-in-hand hand for me with the mix. The click Don't make the click so loud that it's punching you in the brain throughout the entire track that's going to remove mm-hmm. you from the music instantly you're not going to be able to be engaged with the band and you're going to be so worried about flamming with the click that it's just not mm-hmm. going to be super fun and it's not yeah, going to sound really good so get it as low as you can possibly have it and still feel like you're you can hear it and can play to it that would be number one to get used to that there you go all right we've got one oh man this might be a long discussion this comes from rick says, you guys talk about working on time and the en- endless pursuit of, as it seems, perfection of it. So is it perfection you're after or just improvement on what you already have attained? And then Neither he goes on me. to say that uh, he talks about how music should be a little bit looser and have happy accidents and mistakes and Agreed. occasional fluctuations in tempo or feel without it being a distraction. Yeah, so so Rick, from me, from my point of view, I'm not trying to perfect time. I'm trying to increase my awareness of time. Yep. I want to know if I'm rushing or if I'm dragging. I'm okay with it if that's where the music's taking us. Um, but I want to know that one, I'm aware of it, and two, I can control it. Yep, that's it. I don't want to be a stale drum machine. No way. Yeah, there's no. Yeah, I think it's the exact. I think you're you're trying to mix two different things here as far as practicing the, the the internal clock to the point where you know exactly what's happening versus playing music and being responsive to what's happening. Right. I'd say I'm exact yeah. same answer. I want to be aware. So if I listen to a recording of myself and we speed up, I want to know like I remember speeding up rather than right. holy crap I sped up. And I didn't hear it in the moment. And I had no idea. I thought we were super solid right. or there yep. must be something wrong with the microphone. It just sounds so bad. <laughs> it can't be me. <laughs> but I don't think pursuing perfection is a bad thing. Because you're never going to get there, and you're only going to get better. I don't think. I think it's it's, a cop out to say, "Oh, I want to feel like a human being." Well, there's a human being who who has a good feel, and there's a human being who has a real jagged groove. I mean, right? Which one do you want to be? Absolutely. Yeah, I think because once you can, once you're aware, and once you can control it, you can be as loose as you want. Exactly, and we're never (laughs) going to be perfect. Eh, Whatever. Right. Do one more. Yeah, let's do one more. We've got Dan. Okay, these are these are all time-related questions, interestingly. So he says, I've only just recently begun obsessing about time, okay. um, and it's been an ego crusher. I find myself having more fun working with the click on different syncopated beats, which brings me to my question. If I'm enjoying the more difficult quotes method, is it okay to skip just practicing with a downbeat click? Will I be missing Oof. out or suffer if I skip straight on to drilling my time with an offbeat click and gap clicks? This is probably, I don't know if we have different opinions. Do you want to go first? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I kind of agree with both Mark and Ash that, like, I just don't see how playing to a click could be bad for you. Um, and if you can't play to a click, I just, I can also see some, maybe some social situations, some studio situations where you're just expected to play to a click and then, 
you know, it'd be kind of weird if you were like, do you mind if we just set it to dotted quarter notes? And you're like, what? <laughs> Dude, just play to a damn cowbell on quarter notes, bro. <laughs> it was so difficult. Um, so I, I think they're both important. What do you think, man? I think that you, you absolutely 100% have to be able to play to a quarter note click because that's what you're going to do in the real world whenever it's presented to you. Uh, I think if, if I had to guess, I would say you like to syncopate a click because you're able to kind of swim around it a little bit more and you're not having to really be accountable for the fact that maybe your subdivisions aren't 100% accurate. If you, have a, if you have a click track going like every third 16th, well, then that means every beat two, you're not actually hearing a click. So that beat two could be ahead or behind and you can kind of right. swim to catch up with the click. It's more fun, but you're not actually practicing. You're not improving your internal time if you're not aware of how that syncopated click actually falls with the, the quarter note. So if you don't know where the right. quarter note is, then I don't think you have any business practicing with the syncopated click. I, I agree. That's, yeah, that would be my answer. Is like Once you get that, you can go have some fun. But still, you got to come back to that and get used to that quarter note because that's just what's going to show up in most situations that would require a click. So. Dig it. All right, picks of the week. Alrighty. So we, we still have two pounds of paper here to go through for questions. <laughs> so we'll get to as many as we can. But if please, actually, I, I want some more audio questions. I thought that was awesome. So Those send are them the in best, man. mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. And we'll, if you do an audio question, you'll get bumped to the front of the line. That's for sure. So there you go. <laughs> wink, <Boom>. wink. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, I'll, I'll go first. I feel like after I recommended the. Uh, the, the oily pad powder puff thing that I don't even remember what it was. I felt like that allowed me now freedom to go anywhere. Cause it's like, dude, I've proved my metroness. Uh, I'm good. So this is a real issue for, for drummers, especially like myself where I'm 41 years old. I dress like a child and I want footwear that says I'm an adult, but a pair of Adidas is just a little too casual, and then a dress shoe is just way too dressy. I'm never going to wear dress shoes. So there's a company called Australian Footwear that is like the perfect in-between for those adult drummers and adult musicians where it's like, dude, I want to look like I actually care a little bit, but I don't want to go to full you know, boots or dress shoes. Um, Australian Footwear, uh, I, I remember having a camper here from Australia he was wearing some shoes. I'm like, dude, those are dope. What are those? And he literally said Australian. And since he was from Australia, I didn't get it. I thought that'd be oh. like me saying my Pumas are American or, or actually I think they're German or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where the hell Pumas from. Maybe they're American, but I didn't get it. And then when I was in Ireland, I went into a shoe store and there was a whole selection of Australian footwear. And this stuff just like blew my mind. It's not the cheapest stuff, but it's also not overly expensive. Uh, but you can find pretty much every casual type of shoe that just gives you that. This works with jeans and a t-shirt and it'll work with slacks and a dress shirt. So there oh, you go. Dig it. I just wear all black chucks to everything. And I know you it do. It works. Do. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like they have a, a chuck looking shoe, the Gibson, but it's leather. There you, see, yeah. there you go. There you go. There you You'll go. be just fine. But you could buy. Oh, so you're on their four, website. Yeah, you could buy four pairs of chucks for the price of one pair of. <laughs> e, okay, I didn't say they were overly cheap, but <laughs> I give up. Just go. Fine, go get an ANF snare. I don't care. Whatever the hell you're gonna do. All right, what's what's your pick of the week? I don't know what. I mean, what's an Australian shoe size? It's 44. What do you wear? 39, 30, 42, 44. <laughs> yeah, you do have to do some conversions. Uh, because when I went into the shop, I, I was like, uh, I'm a size 11 back in the old States. And the guy in Ireland was like, okay, UK, that'd be this. And then that's a 40-something. So I think I'm like a 46 or whatever. Yeah, 12 uh, is a 46. They have actually. Okay, then I'm site. probably a 44 or a 45. Yeah. Dig it. These there are cool. I like these. I've, yeah. you know, I've always wanted to get boots, and every time I get them and try them on, I'm like, nope. Get these off my feet <laughs> right now. They have to go. Well, away. that's why I like. Um, I, I don't even know what we call them. I think they're called chucka boots, but like the half top. Mm -hmm. um, those allow me to play drums the way I want to play. Everything feels good, but they go just a little bit higher than your casual tennis shoes. So, they good. All right, my pick of the week is. Um, I'll be reviewing all the new Vader sticks soon, but there's one pair that that I was playing with. I just picked them up yesterday when I was just messing around on the kit, and it just felt perfect. It's the 5A acorn tip. They just added acorn tips to their catalog. and Oh, nice. It's a 5A stick. I don't know why the acorn tip made it feel so much better, but it did. So I think it was maybe a little wow, really? cleaner articulation than the oval tip a little bit. Okay. 
Uh, but either way, it just felt like, all right, cool, I can use this stick. This is perfect. I don't need to do anything else. Um, so the, check now, out their acorn what, tips. They have they put them in the 5A, the, the Power 5A, the Power 5B. Um, and then some of the new signature sticks have the acorn tip, like Abe Cunningham okay. has it. Um, I didn't realize they weren't doing acorn tips, but I guess they've been doing oval or like the barrel tip. That's what I have. Yeah, around on my on no my stick. Yeah. So awesome, man. And Vader so five will that? I mean, will that like be kind of like your one of your main sticks from now on? It is. I mean, I I kind of teeter between a five A and a five B, just depending on the volume okay. that I'm playing. Um, gotcha. So the five A is kind of if I just have to. What feels the most comfortable is that, but I cool. use a five B more often because I'm usually playing a louder situation. Gotcha. In recording, I sure. like a, I like a thicker stick for recording because it just I think it pulls out. Makes a, you feel a yeah. fatter sound out of the drums. I agree. I totally agree. Awesome, man. Well, everyone, uh, go check out some footwear and some five A acorns, <laughs> and uh, that's what the Mike and Mike podcast brings you. Uh, everyone, thanks so much for listening to us. We absolutely appreciate it. We will be back next week with more of your listener questions. Also, you okay, man? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. All good. <laughs> All good. It finally uh, hit me like this is ridiculous what we're doing every week. This is absolutely it ridiculous. Is. <laughs> it really is. It's, it makes no sense, but hey. If we can, you know what, if we can get you through your drive or your jog. Oh, my gosh. Some dude just won like a half marathon in Canada listening to the Mike and Mike podcast the whole way. Kevin Swan, congratulations. Oh, he I saw that us, email. That's amazing. Yeah, he sent us his medal. He's like, yeah, I listened to like the whole to you guys the whole time. That's like, yeah. I mean, You're I wonder the, if that means he wants to punch us in the mouth when he sees us because it hurts so much. I don't know. I know. <laughs> or he's just like. The only thing more painful than a half marathon is listening to you guys for seven hours. It's like, all right, cool, man. Whatever takes you, whatever distracts you from the pain. Everyone, thanks again. We will see you guys soon. Later, buddy. See ya.